Welcome to Hollywood Obsessed with Tony Miros, a podcast that celebrates our endless fascination with the iconic people, locations, and history of the entertainment capital of the world. If you're as obsessed with Hollywood as Tony is, or would like to be, get ready to enjoy another exciting, brand new episode of Hollywood Obsessed. Now, here's your host, Tony Miros. Hello, friends. This is your host, Tony Miros, speaking to you from the heart of Tinseltown. On this episode of Hollywood Obsessed, I'm speaking with Emmy-nominated writer and author Shelley Herman, whose fabulous new memoir, My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page, was recently published. Shelley grew up in Southern California in the early 1970s. Growing up, she got a couple of stints as a contestant on The Dating Game, where she got a glimpse at how shows were put together and forged some key professional relationships that would eventually find her writing and contributing to several game shows over the years, including the iconic Supermarket Sweep. Before she turned fully professional, it was her time as an NBC page, giving tours, ushering shows, and interacting with celebrities at the studio in Burbank, which, among other things, was the location of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson in its heyday, that proved to be an influential personal and professional experience on multiple levels. The job held plenty of exciting moments when it came to protecting the important people, usually major celebrities, and those closest to them. And that's where the stories from her memoir begin. Stories about legendary film, music, and television stars passing through the studios for a guest shot on Johnny's couch for a night, or a week's worth of taping The Hollywood Squares, or guest starring on an NBC sitcom. As Shelley and her page colleagues tell it, their experiences were part of an impossibly exciting, weird, and wonderful time of their young professional lives. Shelley is a graduate of California State University, Northridge. She's written over a thousand hours of television shows, contributed to numerous books for Dove Phoenix Publications, starred in the TV series Off the Wall and Night Wrap, and co-hosted ESPN's Battle of the Monster Trucks and Mud Bog Spectacular. In addition, she's guest starred on numerous TV shows and hosted eight infomercials and national talk show programs. And now she's here with me today to tell me all about her wonderfully entertaining life and book. So let's not waste another second and welcome her to the podcast. Hello, Shelley. Thanks so much for being my guest on Hollywood Obsessed. Well, thank you. And and you've already given me fair warning that you've actually read the entire book (laughs) i read it from cover to cover honestly i mean i had a trip to new york and washington and while i was touring i was reading the book i had it with me on the plane like people were like oh that looks like an interesting book i'm like yeah this is very interesting um so anyway i want to talk first i want to thank you so much for being on the show this is an actual pleasure you and i have a lot in common and we have a lot of friends in common too but i was a a vip tour guide at warner brothers for when i first started in la so i kind of understand what the pages had to go through but your experience was totally different than mine um so that's why the book was fascinating to me because i was kind of relating in that way of being the guide to other people coming to visit the studio but you had a lot more interactions because you did ushering and you did the the shows and you did all of those other things that we didn't get to do as as uh as tour guides at warner brothers um so yeah that's why i found the book fascinating but i want to talk about when you when you grew up in southern california why were you so into entertainment was it part of your family was it something you always liked what what what, how did it happen for you 
there was absolutely nobody in my family in the entertainment industry. I'll start, <laughs> I'll start with that. But um, I, I think it comes from, I, I saw my mother be absolutely hypnotized reading photo play magazine, mm-hmm. you know, the, the little gossip magazines of the day. And, and I had asked her once, um, I, I don't remember when you told me you and dad were getting a divorce and she kind of snickered to herself. And she said that she sat my sister and me down and she said, your father and I are getting a divorce. And I burst out in tears. And I said, nobody in my class is divorced. The only people I know who are divorced are Debbie and Eddie, meaning (laughs) Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher. (laughs) Because we spoke of these people as though they were in our inner circle. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I guess I just naturally kind of gravitated toward that. And plus, when my mother remarried, it wasn't a real happy home. And I spent a lot of time in the theater department at Agora High School. Ah. And um, because of the teachers I had then, uh, Eileen Daniel and Jim Gilchrist, who are, who are both alive and thriving and have come to my book signings, uh, I, I I kind of found my family there. And, and, and they're all still really good friends of mine. So it was because of Agora High School that we did a field trip to NBC to see the Midnight Special being taped. Uh-huh. That was, at the time, this huge rock concert kind of show. So it was a, a big get to get tickets for that. And I saw these people standing around in these ugly polyester uniforms <laughs> who were getting paid to listen to rock and roll music all day. Mm-hmm. And since the only job I'd had before that was being an usher at the Valley Music Theater, I at least had something on my resume. And I thought, oh, I could do that job. Uh, yeah, little did I know that it's like one of the most coveted jobs to get as an entry level job in the entertainment industry. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I love the fact that you were just I mean, you were just following your instinct, right? It was just about that looks good. I'm going to try it. So when you went to college, I want to I want to explain. Yeah, I want you to explain to my listeners about the page. Why was being a page so coveted? Why was that so important to, to young people who were coming into the industry? Well, unlike the program that you were with giving the tours at Warner Brothers, the NBC page program, which this year is celebrating its 90th anniversary. <gasps> wow. Uh, it was set out to be an executive training program. Mm. And of course, in the old days, it was all boys. It wasn't girls. Um, right. And that's why when they talk about the notables in the program, uh, people like Regis Philbin, Hugh Downs, Peter Marshall who was only 15 years old at the time when he was a page, uh, Chuck Barris, Grant Tinker, Richard Benjamin. I mean, the list goes on and on. But the idea is once you got your foot in the door in NBC, you had 18 months to meet as many people as you could, try to establish contacts so that when the program ended, you could possibly get a job within NBC. Mm, Uh, But I can tell you a lot of my friends who did not stay with NBC have gone on to have wonderful careers and are thriving because of the training they got during this program. Yeah. I mean, it was only 18 months. That was it. Once you started, you were done and that was you couldn't go back to being a page. No, no, no. I mean, as much as everybody says, like, if I could go back and do it again, I would. They wouldn't have us. (laughs) (laughs) They just wanted to get more people through it, I guess. So and, and and to their credit now. Um, they're a very, very diverse program. And mm-hmm. if you go on, it's like if, if of all of a sudden you're going like, hey, maybe I want to be an NBC page, 
you can go on their website and you can apply online for the job. And I just love seeing these young faces and the diverse faces and and people. This is what's cool, too, is if you don't live like in New York or L.A., if NBC is interested in you, they will fly you either to L.A. or New York on their dime to interview you because they know some people don't have the means to come out for a job interview for something like that. Wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because that's where they find their future execs and people that are going to be a part of it. Absolutely. So explain to my listeners exactly what does a page do? Okay. Uh, At the time I was a page at NBC Burbank, which sadly no longer exists. Um, Our duties were not only to give tours of a working facility. Mm -hmm. We were um, also ushering the TV shows. We would interact with the different departments as, you know, as floaters, we would be secretaries for people on vacation, again, learning different aspects of the business. The fun parts were things like doing limo runs where we would meet celebrities at the airport or take them to the airport. We would escort them to different press and publicity events, uh, Rose Bowl. Uh, Basically, we were their contact. We were NBC's ambassadors to them. How fun. And so, I mean, and that, but you had uniforms and stuff. It was very, it was very, there, there was a hierarchy too as well, right? Oh yeah. And and I still have my NBC page uniform, which um, I'm- I love that. <laughs> you you can't see it people, but it's so cute. It's the one on the cover of your book too, right? That's the one that you're wearing. Yeah. It's, it's the same. We've got two uniforms to wear and I will be donating my uh, uniform there's a, a group of friends of um, Bob Bowden, Adam Nedef, and myself primarily are uh, trying to acquire items for what will become the the history of game show archive at the Strong Museum in Rochester, New York. Wow. And uh, I will be donating my uniform to that facility when it opens in 2026. And um, I'm very excited about that. I know it's not exactly what the book's about, but um, anybody who's listening to your show, if they have any um, memorabilia of, of any game shows, any scripts of if, anything like that, my, my website, mypeacocktail.com, reach out to me because we're looking to, to acquire all kinds of items. Okay. I love that. I, I, I'd love to see all the other things that you get too. That would be fascinating. Oh, you know, you wouldn't, we have the original board from uh, family feud, you know, survey says, wow. Um, I was, because of my background, one of the jobs I did uh, after being a page is I worked on the game show, the liars club uh-huh. that was hosted by Alan Ludden and frequently Betty white would appear on the show too, which I have a, I have a story in the book. It was so cute. Whenever Betty would come to uh, do the liars club, <clears throat> she would bring her mom Tess with her yeah. and the two of them would go to the Elizabeth Arden salon in Beverly Hills <laughs> and they would get their hair done the same way and they'd get their nails manicured and polished the same way. Mm. And, uh, and I would sit with Tess in the audience. So I had this little contact with Betty. So when she passed away um, again, I, I do things I don't know I'm not supposed to do, but I do them anyway. <laughs> and um, I contacted uh Betty's assistant explained who I was and what we were trying to do. And I said, you know, if you have any, you know, stuff that you think is junk, we're interested in it, you know? So she made an inventory list of everything. And at the bottom of the letter, she said, and are you interested in one of Betty's Emmys? (gasps) You're kidding. And it's her Emmy for when she was a female host 
uh, first female host to win an Emmy hosting a game show called Just Men. Wow. So if people go to the Strong Museum in Rochester, New York right now, which is a huge, wonderful facility, in the lobby, there's Betty White's Emmy with a little light on it saying, coming soon, the history of game show archive. So oh there you go. Gosh. Look at that, Shelly. You know what I love? Your enthusiasm about the entertainment industry and, and actually saving history. Because without people like you, things like that would never be, they, they, it would have been thrown away or put in a closet somewhere. Nobody would have ever seen this stuff. So congratulations. I love that. I, I love that we can share that with, with so many game show people because there are a lot of, of game show enthusiasts out there. It's 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 not a uh, a stodgy old format. I mean, there's a lot of young people who are liking it, too, and 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 they've heard about these things. They've just never seen them before. Right. Right. It's funny when Bob uh, Barker died recently, I was crushed because I remember watching The Price is Right as a child when we would have a snow day or a sick day from school and I would be at home sick with my soup and whatever, but I'd watch Bob and he was so much fun. And I loved the hour of watching that and had so many great memories for me. And it was fun. I mean, you know, I, I never have been on a game show, but I know a lot of people love them because they're so much fun and it, it makes time go fast. Um, so I want uh, back to the page thing for a second. Um, when you gave tours of the studio, I know that I had to know a lot of stuff about uh, Warner Brothers when we would have the give the tour because it was not like Universal where they have a little you know machine where you put it on and and you just take the trolley and it talks. No, I had to do all the talking. So the same thing for you guys. I'm sure you had to know a lot about NBC and their shows. So did they test you guys before they let you do a tour to make sure you were ready or? You know, how would that go? Well, because I was a TV enthusiast, I had a lot of useless information about NBC <laughs> rattling around in my brain anyway. <laughs> and um, at the time I began, there wasn't a page manual, but um, Renee Palio found a page manual that belonged to her husband. Yes, she married a page. Oh, wow. Um, her husband, Tim Jones, and she gave it to me. And I was, it was like a eureka moment because it um it's like oh this is where we got some information from because when i started i just would shadow some of the other pages to mm -hmm. hear what they would say and inevitably you know like we had to fill for time needless to say because if you took a tour before two o'clock when all the stages were open we could take people in to see the different sets for like the tonight show or hollywood squares or chico and the man but once those doors closed and the rehearsals and the tapings were going on we were left to say, if you could go into this studio, you would see. Right. And and, and um, uh, Catherine Carter reminded me that she had overheard one of the pages say on a tour once, we if you we can't go into Studio Five now because it's filled with water. They're filming Sea Hunt. Well, Sea Hunt had been off the air for like twenty years at that point. <laughs> but the people, the, there was a little midway area between the the studio and the commissary. And there was a, a mountain, I'm sure you saw it from where you were at Warner Brothers. Yeah. And we would say, you know, that's Walton's Mountain, or that's where Julie Andrews twirled at the beginning of Sound of Music. And people were like, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's <laughs> we just had to say anything at that point. But no, we were, we, we, we kind of came up with our own spiel at the time and, and, and people liked it. It was, it was one hour. And if they saw a celebrity, we could have, you know, just recited the phone book to them after that. As long as they saw a celebrity, they were happy. 
I know it was the same with us. And it was funny because when we were on uh, on the trolleys going through Warner Brothers backlot, we had a, uh, a walkie talkie so we could talk to other people tours to make sure that they were clear from where we were going. And I remember this one time Oceans 13 was filming on the lot Ooh. and George and all of them were at mid at midday at lunch. They would go outside the 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 main stage of their set, and they would play a, ba- a basketball game. All the stars, and you would not believe how many people, secretaries, people from other buildings, would make sure they were passing by that studio sound stage so they could see George and all of them playing basketball. And uh, we had a little you know thing on the on the walkie talkies where we'd be like, okay, uh, I don't know what it was. We make up something about. The ball's in the court and everybody that was on a tour, (laughs) (laughs) all of us who were on tours would make sure we would drive by so that everybody on our tour could see George and Matt and Ben and all of them out there and they would they would would be thrilling. And And I almost hit poor George Clooney once because he ran in front of my um my little tour guide uh cart and with the with the basketball and I was like, I'm so sorry. I could have killed more George Clooney. Yeah, that would have been bad. We we would do that when we, we would just so happen to be uh, taking the tour by the artist entrance when Johnny Carson would arrive. Uh, and so we would have that same kind of thing where, you know, and I'm sure he just hated it, but, you know, <laughs> he couldn't find another way in the building. And, you know, he would say something to the tourists like, you know, the tour is a ripoff, get your money back. Or, you know, it would, it would just make their day. But, you know, it, it would surprise me, too, because. If there was, you know, a five where people would, you know, go out to, you know, get a cigarette or something and have a break. And all of a sudden these elephant doors would open to the studios and out would walk Bob Hope or John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart. And it would catch us off guard, too. So we kind of, you know, had to keep our professionalism going, even though I was fangirling on the inside. Of of course. Yeah. Well, you know, they're famous people. You met a lot of them. In your book, you have a lot of stories. I love all these little stories that you would tell. There was one, he was not famous, but he. I love the story of Floyd Jackson that you tell in the book. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about Floyd and why he was so important to NBC at that time? Floyd was um, a shoe shine guy who had his booth outside of Studio One where Johnny taped The Tonight Show. And Floyd was considered a good luck charm. Uh, to a lot of the the guests and um, Floyd would do um, he he would go into all the executive offices in the morning gather up all their shoes so if if somebody had a meeting at nine o'clock in the morning in the administration building they were in their socks (laughs) Floyd would come, come get all their shoes polish them all up return it to them by lunch and then we'd have our lunch break and then the Carson guests would start arriving mid afternoon Mm -hmm. and um Floyd was always good for if we had to stall for time and we could yeah. say, hey, Floyd, tell us a particular story. He would tell a story that was his favorite about um, he, he was uh, shining Frank Sinatra shoes one time and he got done and uh, you know Frank got off the chair and said, what's the biggest tip you ever got, Floyd? And he said, $100, Mr. Sinatra. So Sinatra gave him $101. And he said, who gave you $100, Floyd? And he said, you did, Mr. Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he would, and then he would tell the almost the reverse story of, um, I think it was Placido Domingo, who, uh, you know, who gave you the most tip? 
And, uh, you know, he said $100. So he gave him, he says, who gave it to you? He said, Frank. And he says, I'm going to give you 99. I'm not going to out tip Frank. (laughs) I love that. Um, But you did, you had a lot of other run-ins with people. I know you talked about Betty White, but there was a run-in with Ringo Starr, right? You had a thing when he had a TV special. Well, this was, this was my friend, Lisa, who um, she was, uh, one of the jobs as being a page is that you'd be assigned as um, I would guess you would say like the Kenneth on 30 Rock, where you would answer the phones for right. whatever production was going on. And she was assigned this special that uh, Ringo Starr was doing. It's available on YouTube. A lot of people don't know about it, but it was Art Carney, Carrie Fisher, John Ritter. Um, got so many more people that are famous now. And it was a, a twist on The Prince and the Pauper where uh, Ringo goes out into the world as a pauper to see what the real world is like rather than being famous Ringo. It yeah. was uh, Ig- uh, Ognar Rats was his name, which was Ringo spelled backwards. <laughs> so uh, Lisa's answering the phone and she gets this phone call from this woman who's very insistent upon speaking to Ringo. She says, I'm Ringo's ex-wife. You get him on the phone right now. You understand or I'll have your job. So Ringo, uh, so uh, Lisa very sleepishly knocks on Ringo's dressing room door and she's like, I, I I hate to bother you, but your ex-wife's on the phone. And she said, if you don't get on the phone to talk to her, she'll have my job. And Ringo looked at her and said, darling, she couldn't do your job. <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa went back, hung up the phone. But yeah, we would see, um, I had two Beatles sightings uh, while I was at NBC. Not only Ringo, but uh, Paul was through the facility several times. Wow. So uh, we got to see him. Um, Robin Williams, before he was super famous, did, um, they tried to revive the old Laugh-In show. And uh, he was one of the zany people that was on that show. Um, uh, Andy Kaufman, before he was super famous, was doing a variety show called Van Dyke and Company. Mm. And I kind of befriended Andy back in the day. And um, he he would eat raw cashews and I thought, oh, I'll be with like my friend Andy, I'll eat raw cashews. And but they tasted <laughs> like paste. They were horrible. <laughs> and 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 a few years later he had told me that um his manager, George Shapiro, wanted him to do this sitcom, but he didn't really want to do a sitcom because he was a performance artist. He liked the spontaneity and the realism. And right. said, you know, do it, Andy, you'll you'll make some money and then you can do your own thing afterward. Yeah. And he and Andy said, "Oh, it's a terrible show. Don't watch it." And uh, that show was Taxi. Oh my! I loved that show. Well, I I caught it in reruns, but um, you know, the irony is I wound up marrying one of the cast members from. Taxi. I know you did. I know. I read it in your book. I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" I used to love him, but he was in the first season, right? Your husband. My husband Randall Carver played John Burns. Mm-hmm. He was on the first season of the show. He's the guy who um, meets a girl in a bar and they get married overnight was one of his storylines. And he tries yeah. to borrow money from Alex Rieger and another yeah. one. But I'm 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 so thrilled to to be part of that again, that family that whenever the taxi people get together, it's like we all just kind of pick right up from where we left off. Yeah. Um, and they're wonderfully generous, kind people. Um that that really was lightning in a bottle, that yeah. show. It really was. And they all went off to have wonderful careers. Um, what was a typical week like for a page? Was it was were you constantly working or did you have to cover for other people? What was it like for being a page? Yeah, during the summertime, 
<clears throat> excuse me, during the summertime it was primarily the tours. And we might do as many as eight or 10 tours a day. Wow. Considering they were one hour tours. Yeah. Uh, and of course, at lunchtime, all of the different uh, uh, bus companies would come in all at the same time. It was Starlight Tours or Orange Coast Tours. I'm sure you had them at Warner Brothers, too. And we'd have to you know, get these people in and out of the hallways pretty quickly. And then usually after lunchtime, when the like maybe two, three ish, the crowds would start gathering to come to the TV show tapings. So mm -hmm. we would then be assigned outside duty, which was um, OIC. They called it outside in charge. And that's the person with the clipboard. And we would oh, have that's the clipboard person. OK, <laughs> yeah, so, so, well, you know, what's what's so weird. There's so many different things to keep in mind as the clipboard person because you've got your vip tickets you've got your standby tickets you've got your regular crowd and mm -hmm. in the case of richard Pryor's show when um tom hansen was the oic for that um people were lined up like maybe six eight hours because richard wasn't feeling mm -hmm. well and they weren't going to tape on time and then the edict came down that richard only wanted to see black audience members in the first three rows really oh wow and when you've got all these people lined up who've been waiting and waiting and waiting and you so paul moody who was his close friend very smart man he went to the back of the line and started grabbing people that he thought richard would like to see in the first mm. three rows so nobody at the front of the line knew they somebody else was getting preferential treatment right uh so that was very very smart um, I, one time I had, um, insisted that we learn CPR. There was this new thing called CPR. And I, and I saw where there could be a need for that with all of the crowds that we would have. Absolutely. So the first day I'm outside with my clipboard after graduating my CPR class. And sure enough, I hear quick, somebody call an ambulance. And it was almost like chariots of fire and running in slow motion <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm ripping off my blazer so i could ball it up to use it as a pillow for the person and running and running and i get to them and the guy had passed out but he was still alert thankfully but i you know i loosened his tie and you know made sure the crowd was away from him and you know look listen and feel he was fine and uh his wife comes over to me she leans over she says our son is a paramedic. You're doing a very good job. <laughs> and uh, we got him in an ambulance, took him over to St. Joe's. And uh, I promised them I'd get them tonight show tickets for the future. But they were only in town a short period of time. So about a month later, this ginormous box arrives for me. And I have no idea what it is. Turned out the guy that I helped was some big mucky muck at the 3M tape company. Mm. And in this box was Everything tape you could think of, videotape, a VHS, beta, a, a Christmas, pretty Christmas tape, <laughs> um, packing tape, stuff to put spit curls in your hair. All so I, you know, I gave it to all my friends at NBC. But we would have these just weird things happen, and and we were not trained on what to do. We we just had to kind of you know think on our you know what I call freelance thinking. We yeah. just had to try to get through these things. And um, and I would say my friends were all very, very adept at doing this. Well, you had to be. I mean, you had to think on your feet. I mean, that's amazing that they didn't even think about training you guys for CPR. You had all those people going through it. That was very smart of you to at least suggest it. Um, 
but yeah, we, I don't think we, did we know that in Warner Brothers? I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, that's another show. <laughs> well, we can, you, we can do, we can do a CPR class in, in another episode. We got, <laughs> <laughs> but out of all those celebrities that you met, who was the one that mo- made most of the pages kind of had be have like a dread feeling like, oh, God, no, not this person again. Do you have one of those? Wow. I mean, there were people that we were very careful to protect, mm-hmm. you know, like like a like, well, like Johnny, uh, like Frank Sinatra. Um, I did not have a particularly good experience with McLean Stevenson. Oh, that's so, right. I read that um, in your book. Yes. So I, I would say um, I would avoid him. <laughs> You'd see him in the hall and go, oh, I got to go the other way. Yeah. Well, except, excruciatingly long story, I had been friends with him and he put some very serious moves on me and I felt threatened and yeah. um, I got away from him. Well, that's what happens, right? I mean, when there are people of power, especially during that period in the 70s, where it was, you know, the boys club. Did you, as pages, have a lot of issues with that, with with sexual harassment on the job? Well, I'm going to go so far as to say it wasn't just the women. Um, The men had it, too. Um, Mm. One page in particular had a limo run with a very famous director who kept um, rubbing his knee and asking Mm. him to go out after they were done with their obligations to NBC. Um, there there were talent that came through the building who would hit on the guy pages too. Yeah. It wasn't just the women. Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with the fabulous Shelley Herman. On the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed, my conversation with Shelley continues as we discuss some of her fascinating stories about her experience working on The Tonight Show with the king of late night himself, Johnny Carson. What it was like meeting TV legends like Sid Caesar, Betty White, and Alfred Hitchcock, and her reasons for writing her best-selling book, My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. All that and more on the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed. This is your host, Tony Miros. See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Hollywood Obsessed. Make sure to visit our Facebook page, Hollywood Obsessed Podcast, where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a single episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in every other Monday for our next episode. That's a wrap.